0: Genesis 28, verse 10 Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and he went toward Haran. He set. Oh, I'm going to back up a little bit. He came to a certain place and he spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones and he placed it under his head and he lay down in that place. Heavenly Father, would you speak to us now? Would your Holy Spirit move in this place? We're so grateful for you. We're thankful for all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. A couple days ago, I was Arguing with my toddler because as parents every once in a while you got to show them who's boss every once in a while you got to let them know that you make the rules and My defiant Baby just kept telling me what they were gonna do And I started telling them what I was gonna do if they did what they wanted to do And I started thinking of punishments and I said hey, this is what's gonna happen You're going to go to bed early today. Oh, you're going to go to bed, and you're not getting up from your bed? She started yelling, I don't want to go to bed. I want to play on the computer, and I want to get on the iPad. And I said, oh, no, you're going to go to bed early, and you're going to put everything down, and you're going to get into your bed with a nice, cool fan blowing on you in your comfortable pillow and blanket. And you're going to go to sleep. And I realized as I was saying that, it doesn't sound like much of a punishment to me. I come to realize that the things that I use as punishment for my kids are actually the goals that I have in life. (laughs) To sleep a little bit more. To go to bed early. To get off of my equipment. And to lay up in my cool bed with the fan blowing. as, As I get older, I've come to appreciate sleep a little bit more. How about you? I just appreciate a good rest, a good nap. Like back in the day, I remember when I would yell at my kids because, hey, listen, if you want to judge me, it's fine. But I yelled at my children and I've told them, hey, it's time for you to take a nap. And you can't force kids to take nap. It is like you are given the worst punishment in the world by telling them to take a nap in the middle of the day. And I realized that's what I want. To take a random nap when I'm just not feeling good. Why does it take children so long to go to sleep? I put my head on that pillow and I knock out. Gone. Instantly. I appreciate sleep. I appreciate sleep so much that uh, a couple weeks ago I had to get myself a new pillow, had to do it. I don't know if you're like me, but I gotta have my pillow when I sleep, right? My pillow, the reason that I had to go get myself a new pillow is because when I laid down, I realized that the crick in my neck started to hurt even more, that my back started to hurt. Isn't it bad when you get to a place in your life where sleeping wrong takes you out for a week? Takes you out for a week. I realized in the middle of falling asleep that the pillow that I was using wasn't mine. And I looked inside of the pillowcase and I saw that my kids had taken my pillow And switched it with their little flat pillow. I don't like little flat pillows. I got to have a pillow that's got a little bit of cushion, has some memory foam in it. This was like the flattest thing I'd ever seen. And I knew based on the cookie stains and the candy stains in it, this belonged to my children. So I asked my kids who did this and realized it was one of my kids and they switched it out. Because they said, you got a good pillow and we want good pillows too. And I realized, man, I've been... Giving my kids those little thin pillows. Man, I'll get them some good pillows. So I went to the store. You ever go to the store to go find pillows? It's the weirdest feeling there is. Because I can't make a decision unless I use this thing. And so I'm the awkward guy in the aisle with the pillow, and I just. (laughs) You're not done that? Don't tell me you haven't done that. You squish it a little bit, and you see how long it takes for it to fluff back up. You press it, and then you, you have to put it, and you have to pretend. So I got this pillow, and I thought, oh, this ain't, this ain't it. After about a couple minutes of messing with it, I took it home, and I said, well, this, maybe this is it. But I went home, tried it out, and I was unhappy. I said, I don't really know that this is going to work. Let me tell you, that pillow worked miracles. I felt so refreshed the next day. I've slept so well ever since I've gotten that pillow. I just, I love pillows. As an adult, you have this appreciation for things like pillows. I know you have pillows in your house that, that you don't sleep with. I know they're, they're decorative pillows. They're pillows that you put on your couch. They're the pillows that you karate chop. Have you ever karate chopped a pillow? Just, if you haven't, you will soon when you get married. You have to karate chop pillows. Those aren't pillows that you sleep with. I appreciate She said, exactly. Oh, okay. I appreciate these pillows. I bring this up because I appreciate a good pillow. I want to sleep with a good pillow. I know what it does for me. And then I look at this text and I see that Jacob, he's using a rock for a pillow and it kind of gives me some neck pain. Why is Jacob using a rock for a pillow and it intrigues me because I think the Lord is trying to speak to us even today with a story from his word that today I think it makes a lot of sense for us because Jacob is using this pillow because it's all he has because he's in a strange place he's in a place where he doesn't really feel like he belongs he hasn't arrived to where he's going and so because of that he's uncomfortable and maybe you know what it's like to feel uncomfortable. Maybe you know what it's like to be in a place in your life where you don't really feel like you've gotten to where you want to be. You haven't finished the courses, haven't got the job, haven't found the boyfriend, the fiance, ladies, haven't, haven't had the children yet, haven't had the success in your business that you want, and you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And you wonder, when is God going to come through for you? That's where Jacob is. Exactly where we find him today, and if that's you, I think this text is going to be a blessing for you. The Bible tells us in Genesis 28 then Jacob departed from Beersheba. I I just want to give you a quick review, two minute review. I promise I'm only preaching for 30 minutes here. I've been doing better. Have you seen that lately? Under 40 minutes, it's been great. I I promise we're going to get through this and it's going to be good. Jacob. The last we saw him, he was stealing his brother's birthright. Do you remember that? He, he, he was able to take Esau's birthright for some charro beans. I mean, he just, he took some beans. And listen, there are some good beans out there that are probably worth negotiating for. But listen, there is nothing on this planet worth negotiating God's promise for your life for. Esau didn't care about it. He, he thought so little about God's promise for his life that he, he sold his birthright to Jacob for, for some beans. Chapter 27 comes, and then we see Isaac, and Isaac is, is preparing his home and his family by digging wells so that God would give them water. And now we're in chapter 28, and we're back, we're back to Jacob. Now, in the chapter before, between Isaac digging the wells and where we're at now, uh, Jacob has done some more manipulating. See, the reason Jacob finds himself in a place where he has to use a rock for a pillow is because he's on the run. Because in chapter 27, he manipulated his father in such a way to steal the verbal vocalized blessing from the father to a son. See, in this culture the blessing, the promise that a father would have for his child was not legally bound until the father spoke it. So in chapter 27, Jacob has already convinced his brother to sell his birthright, but it's not official until his his father speaks it over him and says, may you be blessed and may God bless you and may you be the, the, the person that takes this this blessing that God has given Abraham and may it come on your life and may you have children and, and your tribe grow. This, this family blessing has to be, has to be spoken. In 27, uh, Jacob convinced his father that he was Esau by putting on uh, old, old like sheep's skin and he was smelling like his brother. Now listen, I love to smell good this man decided I'm going to smell bad because my brother smells bad and my dad is going blind. I need to convince him that I'm Esau. And so he dressed up like his brother. He, he wound up trying to smell like his brother so that his blind father could bless him. He was begging for a blessing. Isaac blessed him unknowingly, but he blessed him. He thought it was Esau, and he blessed him. And the Bible says Esau finds out, and now Esau wants to kill his brother. Esau, the Bible says, finds out that he lost the blessing, and he cries out. And the Bible says that he sets out to do the unthinkable, to kill his brother. So right now, in chapter 28, verse 10, Jacob's on the run. He's on the run because he manipulated his brother and he stole his blessing. And now he's got to run as far as he can or else he's going to die. Jacob, the deceiver, is running because of the decisions he made. It says, then, verse 10, Jacob departed from Beersheba and he went toward Haran. Now, I want to stop there really quick because maybe that word Haran, the name of that province, that city, rings a bell. Do you remember that name, Haran? We we got to first see this name the first time we met Abram. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, that God told Abram to leave his father's house and to go to a place where he will show him. And did you know that that place that Abraham was leaving was actually Haran. In chapter 12, it tells us plainly that he leaves a place named Haran, and he goes towards Canaan. Here is Jacob now, years later, and where is he going? Back to Haran. Haran. Here is Jacob, and his family has left Haran, left where God told them to leave, pursued the promises of God, and now Jacob, because he's on the run, he is running right back to where it all started. Here is Jacob, and he's he's backsliding. He's taking steps backwards, and maybe you've been in a place in your life where you've experienced taking some steps back. Maybe you've been in a place in your life where you've experienced going back to the place that you know you should not be. Maybe you know what it's like to go back to a place that God has told you to leave. You've, you've gone to places that God has explicitly told you you should leave that. You shouldn't do that anymore. You shouldn't have those relationships. You shouldn't do these things on the Internet. Here is Jacob, and he's going back to it. He's running so far back. He's going all the way to the beginning. He's leaving the promised land. And I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been on the run before. I don't know if you've ever felt like you've done so many crazy things in your life that you would have to go back to the way that you used to be. But that's what Jacob is doing. He goes back to Haran. He's running for his life because his brother was out to kill him. The Bible says in verse 11, he came to a certain place, a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and he put it under his head and laid down in that place. The Bible says this place that he finds himself in on the way to Haran, as he travels to Haran, Haran, this place is 60 miles away from Beersheba and Jacob. Where he he is leaving is 60 miles away. There's 490 miles left before he gets to Haran. He's a 77-year-old man. Guess how old Abraham was when he left Haran? 75. Just doing the cycle. The Bible says right here that he came on the way to Haran to a certain place. You know that the Bible, whenever there's a place that it wants you to know is important, it's going to tell you the name of the place. It's going to always tell you the name. It's going to tell you who lives in it, what's dwelling there, who are the ancestors that are attached to it. And yet right here in this scripture, it says it's a certain place, meaning it's not really an important place at the time. Jacob, on the run, lands in a place with no name because it has no importance, it has nobody living in it because it doesn't have any water in it because there's no cattle in it. There's, no, there's nothing there that would tell you that this is a place that you need to settle. There's no commerce. There's no people. It is an empty place. This place where he's at now is completely opposite to what God has promised Abram and his descendants. God promised Abram this wonderful place. Flowing with milk and honey. A place where Abram and his family could impact the world through. And now here is the contrast. You see that Jacob, he's actually living in a place now. He stopped at a place that's completely opposite. There's nothing there. He's in a lonely place, the Bible would tell us later in other chapters. And The Bible says while he is there, he stops because the sun set. He didn't stop there because he wanted to. He stopped there because he had to. And I love that the Bible tells us that because it reminds us that there is a time in your life that will come where you have to slow down. Where the things around you will force you to stop. And it's in those moments, I think, that God wants to speak to us the most when we have to stop. It says, He stops because the sun had set and He took a stone of the place, and he put it under his head, and he laid in that place. This is, this is so uncomfortable for me as I read it. There is nothing comfortable in this text. There is nothing here that would make me feel like this is a place where I need to find rest and recharge and find life again. No, the Bible tells us that this place, there is nothing there but a stone. This rocky, empty soil, the Bible says he put under his head... So that he could try to fall asleep. It says in verse 12. He had a dream. And behold there was a ladder set on the earth. With its top reaching to heaven. And behold the angels of God were ascending and descending. As he's sleeping God gives him a vision. And the vision that God gives him is of a ladder. And this ladder is a place, a mechanism, something that the angels are using to travel from the earth into heaven. God was showing him the activity, the spiritual activity in the area that was desolate. The Bible says, behold, angels were ascending and descending. This ladder is important for us because it is a symbol of the uninterrupted fellowship between God and his people on earth. This ladder is a symbol for us to see that God is moving in places that we don't think he's moving in. This ladder shows us this, that the angels are going from earth to heaven, symbolizing how God is trying to meet the needs of man. That God is using angels to carry up the needs of man to God and God bringing down the assistance and protection that men need. Here is Jacob, and he's in need of God's help. He's in need of God to do something in his life. And God gives him this vision of a ladder and shows him angels going from earth to heaven and back down to show him, I have every resource you can imagine available. And he says, not only is it available, but it's there and you don't even see it. It's happening right before your eyes, and you don't notice it. I think God is trying to speak to us the way he's talking to Jacob at this point. Those of you who find yourself in a lonely place, those of you who find yourself not where you want to be, if you find yourself where you don't, you didn't expect to be in your life, you haven't arrived where you wanted to be, you haven't done the things that you thought you would accomplish, yet the Bible is trying to show us through this vision, through this ladder that God is present in places where we feel like he's not. The latter stood there on earth while Jacob is laying on the ground. He's poor, he's helpless, he's alone, his brother is out to kill him, and yet God is showing him, I'm here. God is showing him that he is there for Jacob. It says that the angels were ascending and descending, verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it because he is. Never missed the position of God. And the Lord was above it all. Showing us the position that God has over all of the worst things in our lives. He's over it. He's greater. He's more powerful. He's more capable. He's more able. He's not worried. Notice we don't see God pacing around in this vision. Wondering how he's going to help Jacob. Wondering how he's going to handle the situation that Jacob got into. Because God's big plan cannot be messed up by our mistakes. Jacob is here after making mistake after mistake. The promise that God had for Abram back in chapter 12, now we're in chapter 28, and we are seeing that God is not worried about whether or not the promise that he made to Abram is going to be fulfilled. God is not worried because God is in control, and whatever God wants, God will do. And even if we fail or if we make mistakes, God will still get his will done. So here we are after Jacob has made these mistakes, and God is standing there above it. And this is what he says to him I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you. I will give it to you and your descendants. Verse 14 Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east. And to the north and to the south and you and your descendants shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to you when you read it? There is some language being used here in verse 14 that should be familiar for you if you've been in this series long. God says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. The dust. Where have we heard this before? With Abraham. Where where specifically have we heard this before? Verse 14 says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. It reminds me of chapter 13. Do you remember that? Chapter 13. Abraham is with Lot. And he is talking with Lot about splitting the land up. And the Bible says, as they're about to split the land, Abraham offers to Lot to pick whatever piece of the land he wants. And the land, half of it is good and half of it is bad. And Abraham was actually offering for them to split equally, half good and half bad. But Lot looks at the land, the Bible says. And he chooses the good land. Let's get it if we have it. Genesis chapter 13, 14 through 16. This is what it says in chapter 13, 14 through 16. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot separated from him. So this is after Lot leaves him. Lot takes the good land, leaves the desert to Abraham. This is what it says. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him. Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you for you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. God, in this moment, is repeating to Jacob the words that he gave to Abram. Why? I think I think it's because Jacob is in a similar place that Abram was in. Jacob is on the run. And Jacob, at this point, doesn't have very much future set for him. He's sitting in an abandoned place and he's alone. Kind of like Abram was when he was looking at the land that was left to him. A land that was full of dust. A land that didn't look fertile enough to grow plants. A land that didn't look fertile enough to grow any kind of fruits and vegetables. A land that seemed impossible to be called the promised land. And you right here. We see God using that same language for Jacob. Because I think Jacob's in the same place. He received the blessing. He's on the run. And he's in the desert. And I promise you he feels like there's no way God can work with what I have. There is no way that God can do with what I have in my life right now what God said he could do. I have really messed this up this time. I've made the kind of mistake that is irreversible. God cannot bless me. God cannot fulfill the promise for me because of the mistakes that I've made. Jacob is feeling probably a lot like Abram felt that day when Abram gave up that piece of property that was fertile and good and was was something that you would want to have if you wanted to build the promised land on. And Abram was left with dust. And in that moment where Abram was left with dust, God spoke to him and said, I will bless you. But I'm not just going to bless you in a way that you think I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in a way that's innumerable. You don't know how to measure what I'm doing for you. This is how I'll explain it to you. Your descendants are going to be like dust. You won't even be able to count them. And now God is saying those same things. He's saying the same things to Jacob, and Jacob's not even married yet. Jacob's actually on the way to find himself a wife. And God is speaking to him saying, I know you don't have a wife yet. I know you haven't found the woman that you're supposed to marry. But I'm telling you right now, you're going to have children. You're going to get married. You're going to have children. And you're going to have more children than you can ever imagine. I love that this scripture is teaching us that God is telling us about the future before we can even see what he's doing right now. That God is speaking into this, this man in his rebellion after he's manipulated his father and his brother, after he has sinned against his family. Yet God is telling him, I know you messed up, but I'm really gracious, and I'm really good. And because I'm really gracious, and because I'm really good, I'm, I'm gonna speak to you about something you don't even deserve. You're gonna have nations come from you. You're gonna have you're looking for a wife, you're gonna find the wife, and you're gonna have children and more children. I like that God speaks into existence things that aren't there. And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't see how God can work in my life. I don't see how he can fix the mistakes that I've made. I don't know how God's going to work this out. And maybe God has given you a word the way he's given it to Jacob. You don't see it now, but it's coming. You may not feel like you deserve it, but it's on its way. Not because you deserve it, but because I'm good, because I'm faithful to you. And God is telling him, hey, look, just like I promised this to Abram, I'm promising it to you and the difference here is Abram was obedient Jacob isn't He promises him all this even though Jacob's Jacob's a liar and a deceiver. You know what this is for you and me? It's the gospel. The gospel that you and me, we don't deserve what God gives us. The promises that we're pursuing, the things that we want in our lives, we don't deserve it. We sin every day. We do things that get us outside of the will of God. We do things that would make God not happy about who we are and what we do. And yet God still, because of his love for us, because of his grace for us, because of his mercy, he still blesses us. And he blesses us by giving us something we don't deserve. He gives us salvation that you and I, we can't deserve. We couldn't do enough to earn it. And the Bible says that he tells him just like the dust, you don't even have a wife yet. And maybe maybe that's the way you feel when you read God's word. How is he going to give me that when I don't even have this? How is God going to give me peace when I still have unforgiveness in my heart? How is God going to give me joy when I'm still hurt by what these people did to me? How is God going to give me hope if today I feel like giving up? It might feel like it's impossible. That's the God that we serve. He calls things that aren't as if they are. And he says to them, I will give you your descendants. You're looking for a wife. I got more. I love it. You just want a wife. I'm going to bless you more than you could ever imagine, buddy. And he says, and I'm not just going to bless you and give you children like the dust of the earth. You will spread out. And he said, it's bigger than you. What you want, I'm going to do more. The things I have planned for you, the things I have planned for your life, it's going to be bigger than anything you could do yourself. It says, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Hey, listen. Listen. This is the same language he used with Abraham. When he told Abraham, I will give you the land north, south, east, and west. And the reason that that was an important thing that God gave Abraham is because Abraham had just given up the land to the east. All of that land he gave to Lot. And Abraham... In that moment, gave up the most fruitful land he could have, and he was left with the desert. And God was telling Abraham, when he told Abraham, that he would not only give him the land to the west, but that he would give him the land the north, south, east, and west. What he was telling him is, the things that you've lost, the things that you've given away, the things that you messed up and fumbled, I will restore it to you. The land that you gave away, the land that you mistakenly gave to Lot, I'll give it back to you. And not only am I going to give it back to you, but I'm going to give you the north and the south, even though you were just going to go west. He said, I'm going to do so much more for you than you can ever imagine. I'm going to give you everything from the north, the south, the east, and to the west, because what I have for you is greater. Even though you messed up. And he's using this language here with Jacob because what he's trying to teach Jacob is look, the same story that you heard Abraham tell Isaac that's been passed down on how I restore what you lose. What have you lost? The thing that you've lost. What has Jacob lost? His family. Jacob's lost his family. He's on the run because his family is out to get him. He's saying, what have you lost, Jacob? Oh, you lost your father's house. Remember, where did Jacob like to chill? Tents. Guess where Jacob is now? Outside. He wasn't a man that wanted to be outside. And guess where he's at now? Outside. Jacob's whole life is flips upside down. He's lost all of it. And God is saying, I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to give it back to you. The same way I did it for Abram. North, south, east, and west, really, that's where, my fa- that's where, that's where Esau is. You're going to give me that? My brother's way stronger than me. I don't want to fight him. I remember when I was young, and they told me some guy named Ricky Garcia wanted to fight me. Now, you guys have heard this story before, but listen, Ricky Garcia is not Ricky Jackson. Ricky Jackson, pretty Ricky is what they called him, is not Ricky Garcia. Ricky Garcia, I always had fights with Rickies, I don't know. Ricky Garcia didn't like me. And Ricky Garcia had a brother named Armando. You already know with that name. This man's bigger than me. Armando wanted to fight me, and they said, hey, listen, Ricky's upset with you, but Armando wants to fight you. I said, no, wait a minute. I ain't having that. I'll fight Ricky. I ain't fighting Armando. He's too big for me. I can't handle it. I love that God gives him the direction that his brother is living, and he tells him that land that's going to be full of conflict, that land that's going to be full of someone trying to get you, I'm going to help you win that too. No matter how much you feel that you can't go back, no matter how much you feel that you've lost, no matter how much you feel that you can't handle it under your own strength, you're weaker. Yes, but I'm stronger. You're unable to fight. That's okay. I will fight for you. He says, I will give you north, south, east, and west every conflict, every trouble, everything that you've lost. I will win for you. I will give it back to you. North, south. Is this good? East and west. He said, and you will spread out north, south, east, and west, and in your descendants shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. I love it. I love it because we don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve to, for God to fight for us. We don't deserve for God to handle our enemies. We don't deserve to God to restore to us the thing that we've lost, and yet in his goodness, he does. And even though we make mistakes, he restores. And even though we can be more like Jacob than we like to admit, we meet a gracious God. Then he says this in verse 15, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you in, listen to this, until. That's a timeline. Circle that. Until I have done What I have promised you. I love that because it tells me I'm not the one working. God is. He says, I will be with you and I will keep you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. He says, and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until, until, until I have done what I have promised. Listen, God is determined. God is determined to see his will get done. The purpose of God will be done. No matter what we do or what we don't do or how much we mess things up. God says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. You know what the good news is for me and for you? If it doesn't look like it's done, God's still working. If it doesn't look like it's finished, if the situation hasn't been fixed if god hasn't shown you that it's over it's because it's not and you can leave here with the in the confidence that god is with you even in that and he will not leave you until he has done what he has promised for you god is still working no matter how bad it looks no matter how far you've reverted and back we used to say this back in the i'm backslidden I've gone back to the place that I did not want to go. And you know what it's like to go back to the thing, go back to the drink, go back to the website, go back to the place that you don't want to go. And here it says, if it's not finished, it's because God's not done. Until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, surely, I love it. Surely the Lord is in this place. You know why he has to say surely? Cuz before this dream he knew God wasn't here. When he says surely God is in this place is cuz before this dream he was convinced that God wasn't. What have you convinced yourself about God's presence that isn't true? What about God's provision and God's presence in your life? Have you convinced yourself that you play a part in him leaving? Jacob is the prime example of a God looking at us in our misery and mistakes and staying faithful to us, even though we're not faithful. Right here, he realizes, even though I didn't think God was here, he is Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I want want to end here. Let's get the band up here, and we'll end it. It says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. I didn't know it. Jacob is in a difficult place. Jacob is struggling, and he's convinced himself that God is absent. God is not here. And there will be moments in your life where you convince yourself that God is not there. He's not real. He's not active. He doesn't care. Because look, of, look at the mess I've made. Look at the mistakes that I've made. And because of these mistakes, there's no way that God would be here. There's no way that God would be in my life. There's no way that God would show himself in my family, in my workplace, with my children, with my parents. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. You're telling me that God is in the places where I don't know or believe that he's in? You're telling me that in the hardest places of my life, God can be present? You're telling me that in the most difficult places in my life, I can trust that God is still present? It says, surely... God is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? Think about that. He went from probably despising the place he's in to saying, how awesome is this place? I think that God is going to turn things around in your life in such a way that the places that you find yourself in today that you're not happy about, the moments that you're facing right now, you're struggling with, where you say, where's God? I don't see him. I don't feel him. He's left. He's not here. He's not happy. Too many mistakes have been made. I think that if we take anything from this text today, we'll take this. He's still there. He's never left. And he's in the hard places as much as he is in the easy places. He says here, He says, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. He takes a place that is empty, desolate, dusty. No one is living there. And he says, this is the house of God. 490 miles away from his destination. And yet he says, this is where God lives. Because what he's saying is, is God is with me even when I'm on my way. Even though I haven't gotten to where I want to get to. God is with me. And because God is with me, this is a holy place. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the place where God is moving. This is the place where angels are moving from the earth and to the heaven and back down. This is the place where God can move. This is the place of God's provision. This is the place where God can overwhelm me with his goodness, even though to me on the outside it doesn't look like. It says, so Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone and he put, he took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on its top. He went from a pillow to a pillar, a pillow to a pillar, a pillar, and he anointed it. He consecrated, he consecrated it with oil consecrating means making it holy he consecrated the common thing it's just a rock but he said no 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 god's here there are moments in our lives where the common thing doesn't look like the kind of thing that god would want to be involved in but he is but he's present but he's there he poured oil on his top, and he called the name of that place Bethel, the house of God. Do you know that in the Old Testament, the, the second most discussed city in the Old Testament is Bethel? Is Jerusalem and Bethel. This is the place where everyone would go to worship. The presence of God. From a wasteland to a worship place. From a wasteland to a place where people would worship God. Because if God's in it, it's holy. Here's what I want to tell you about your life. God's in it. He's with you. No matter what you've lost, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what you've done to get yourself in the place you're in now, no matter how much trouble you are in, he will not leave you. You are not done. He's got things that he wants you to accomplish, and he's going to do it with you. He's going to do it for you. It says, he called it Bethel, verse 20, and Jacob made a vow. I like it. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. Jacob made a vow. Miss this. It says, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I get to return to my father's house in safety, check out this word, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Did you see it? If God will be with me and keep me on this journey that I take I and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I get to return to my father's house in safety, then... Then the Lord will be my God. I thought thought Jacob was a believer in God. I I thought Jacob was like trusting and believing and knowing the God of his fathers. No, actually, he didn't have strong faith here in God. As a matter of fact, God tested Abraham, and here Jacob is actually testing God. He says, if God will be with me. And it look at what he asks for. If he gives me food, if he gives me clothes, and if he takes me back home safely, then I'll follow him. Didn't God just give him a list of promises? I am the Lord your God, your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. You will spread to the east and to the west and to the north and the south. And in you, the descendants of your family, the whole world shall be blessed. I will be with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. Seven promises God makes to him. Jacob asked for three things, food, clothes, and safety. You know what this tells me? That God will always give you more than what you're asking for. That when we think about a blessing from God, he's got more. No matter what it is that you're asking for today, God's like, that's it. I got so much more that I can do for you. If you would just trust me. If you would just believe that I'm with you. If you wouldn't give up because you're in a lonely place. If you wouldn't give up because things are difficult. Then you'd realize how much more I have for you. I think it's time that we stop underselling God and what he wants to do for us and what he can do in our lives. Ephesians 3.20 says what? God can do far more abundantly beyond what we ask, what we think, or we can imagine. Today's the day where we step up and we say, no matter how difficult it is, I'm trusting him. No matter how many mistakes I've made, I'm trusting him. I'm trusting him in the promises that he has for my life, even though I've made mistake after mistake. And I'm trusting him to be present. I'm trusting him to come through. I'm trusting him to do what he said he would do because he said he would do it. If that means restoring your family that's broken, he'll do it. If that means helping your children, he'll do it. If that means financially providing for you, he's going to do it. But do you trust him? Do you trust him? Why don't you bow your heads and let me pray for you. God, we're in this place. And some of us, Lord, we need a reminder that you're with us. And no matter what we've done, your grace is abounding. And no matter where we find ourselves today, we have not gone so far that you cannot reach us that maybe we found ourselves in places and in moments where we don't see you move and yet today you're reminding us that you're there. Today we want to leave here with the confidence that you're with us. Today we want to leave here with the confidence that you're working in our lives, that angels are moving back and forth. And that even though we're in a place where we don't see you move, we trust that you and that in our families, that in our homes, that in our futures, you are good and that you are working and that you love us and that even though we don't see it, we trust you in this place. Today we declare that this is the house of God. Your presence dwells in our lives and that this place is awesome because you're showing us Lord just how much you care just how much you can do when you take all of our doubts all of our struggles and you save us from them so God give us the confidence this week as we head home give us the confidence to keep trusting you even though we don't feel like we've arrived because you are good you're a provider. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen and amen. Put your hands together.